Welcome to EMDR Chat with Kurt and Michelle. I'm Dr. Curtis Roundson. And I am Dr. Michelle Gottlieb. And today we're going to talk about can you do EMDR therapy via telehealth? And, and, and let me just say, if you had asked me pre-pandemic, the answer would have been, oh gosh, no, that's a terrible idea. No, you, no. And then... It's at least unethical and unprofessional and probably illegal. How can you do that? It's right. You can't. Right. And then, you know, we all got locked in our houses and we still needed to see our clients. So it's amazing what when we need to, we find out we can. You know, they say mother is a necessity of invention. By the way, mm-hmm. Michelle, I have a little historical fact. You know about me in history. It doesn't surprise me you have a historical fact. Go ahead. Tell us. Can I I tell you about another innovation that started because of another global crisis? No, what? The very fact that you and I and many of our listeners are sitting out there without a medical degree and are performing psychotherapy did not occur until after another global crisis called World War II. Wait, what do you mean? Up until then, only MDs, only physicians could do psychotherapy. It was considered a medical intervention. And because of the war and people coming back with what we know now as PTSD, they were overwhelmed. And so they decided that they had to get some other people in there. There weren't physicians in order to meet the needs. And they started first with the PhDs in psychology, which was research-based then, only research, really. And they put them in the room and they discovered to their chagrin that a (laughs) non-MD could actually do psychotherapy. So in 1949, the first model, the scientist practitioner model, model psychology was developed where non-licensed physicians could do psychotherapy. And from that, all of us now are sitting here as licensed non-MD mental health professionals because of that global crisis. And now we have telehealth. Right. That is fascinating. And uh, uh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, And as we look at how we developed telehealth and what we need to do to effectively, ethically, legally, all those concerns that we've had to do telehealth with our clients. Now, Kurt, you and I tend to work with um, people who have complex PTSD or dissociation. And even with that population, we'll talk about it in just a minute, even with that population, we can ethically, legally, and all of that, still do telehealth. But let's talk about how you do EMDR therapy with quote-unquote simpler cases um, at all. How do, you, how do you do bilaterals? How do you do any of that? What have you discovered, Kurt? Well, you know, first of all, you know, we think about eye movements. And, um, you know, we, let's just throw out there are several um, uh, computer programs out there now that, you know, can do some of this stuff. But I still tend to be old-fashioned and do it the old-fashioned way with my fingertips and things. And so that means for me when I do eye movements, I first of all, I make sure their monitor is large enough and I pin them so their picture is big and they pin me so my picture is big on the, on, on uh, Zoom. And uh, I hold my fingers all, what, four or six inches away from the camera screen and I begin moving my hands just like I do with them in the room with my chair to the side, so I'm not behind, my face is not a background, and I'm watching. Some, some, uh, one of the first things you'll notice if you do that, there's often a time delay, so that your, your hand may be on the right and your eyes are on the left, uh, so it looks a little funny in the beginning. You can do it that way. You can put um, little, uh, little 
uh, like file folder red dots or blue dots on the corner of their computer and they can use the corners of their computer if they have a large enough monitor or they can sit in a chair and look in the corners of the room and do the same kind of thing. That's what I do with eye movement. So do you do the same thing? Absolutely. And again, let's even back up a little bit with the internet. You always have a conversation with your client about how good is their internet? How good is your internet? What if it goes down? How, you know, so you can handle it. Um, making sure, as you said, that their screen is big enough. A phone is not big enough for the eyes to cross the midline. So you need at least a tablet not or a computer screen. Um, and looking from corner to corner on a computer screen works fabulously. Corner to corner room looks fabulously. You may need to in order for them to, if, if they're not watching your fingers, for them to go fast enough, you may need to like bang the computer with kind of, so they can hear the, um, how fast they should be going or snapping your fingers or something so that they can keep, yeah, they can keep the pace going. And, and then it's just talk about modalities with modalities. Obviously we're not in the same room. So, you know, we'll do butterfly hugs. They can tap themselves uh, on their shoulders across their arms and tap themselves on their shoulders. Uh, they can t you know, lay their hands on their legs and tap their hands, uh, tap their legs with their hands. Uh, and with sound, we've discovered, interestingly enough, if you take your fingers and just hold it on the cartilage of your ear and tap, you'll feel it, but you'll also hear the tap. So that's the auditory thing that we've learned to do. But those are the modalities. Uh, the other thing about the um, Internet, of course, we need to get all those fine legal things like informed consent. Um, make sure there's lighting, that sort of thing. What other kinds of concerns um, do you want to share? Well, you know, talking about uh, the legal piece of it, make sure you have the address of where they actually are. Make sure you have a phone number of where they actually are. Um, and possibly, depending again on the, the client, uh, especially if they're a minor, that you have the phone number of the adult who's actually there with them. Or um, can, if they're an adult, if your client's an adult, can get to them, right? So, because we're not in the room with them. So you need to make sure you have all of that information. I've had clients who, because we, we need them to have a confidential space, right? That children aren't going to walk in on or their spouse is going to walk in on. And I've had clients who have gone to parking lots or parks because that was the only confidential place that they've had. So, but again, you need to know where they're actually located, so in case there's a problem. The other thing about that is is that you want to make sure they're located in a jurisdiction you're licensed in. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> if Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I crossed the state line to get someplace confidential. Oh, we may have a problem then. Okay. Um, so it's really important that that is set up prior to stop starting as well. The other thing is... I talked about having a confidential space, a space where they won't be interrupted. That includes just the interrupt. Like when I've had clients in parking lots, I've said, is it a place that no one's going to come by, disturb you, distract you, um, that there's not a, a window that they're looking at? That I have a client who is a, a student who lives in a dorm. And just so happens her room is right next to a walkway. So there's forever people walking right by her. So we make sure that she's not facing the window. So she's not distracted by people walking by. So be thoughtful about that. Yeah. And the other thing to be thoughtful about is your window, right? What's, 
What can your client see? Number one, of course, obviously be professional. Please don't do therapy when you're sitting in your bed. It's just not professional. Um, but things like what, what can the client see? Is there a picture there that can be triggering? Um, I've had consultees and I've looked at the artwork behind them that is just really super provocative. And depending on the client, it's going to be triggering. And so, you know, be thoughtful about that. Look around what your space that shows up in your Zoom window, what does it actually look like? Think about that Zoom picture as a television screen, like you're on TV. What background do you want the audience to see? And Kurt talked about lighting. Now, we need to be able to see our clients, just like when we're in person. We need to be able to see their face, their body. Now, we don't get to see their body because people in Zoom only exist from, you know, just up. But we still need to be able to see their eyes and their face. I can't tell if their eyes are moving, if they're able to track the ball or my fingers or whatever we're doing, if the lighting is so bad that I can't see them. Or they're sitting so far back from the screen that I can't see them. So you need to work with your client to set up, again, whether it's lighting or, or their, how they're sat, sitting, their seating arrangement, whatever it is, you need to make sure that that's set up in such a way that you can, because we still, we've talked before about when we stop the set is not just by counting, it's that micro expression, some sign that they've done the work. And if I can't see their face, then I can't find that micro expression. If, if they've stopped, their eyes have stopped moving because they've disassociated out, I can't see it because the, it's too dark. So it's really important that we can see them. Yeah, and seeing the eyes is so important also to make sure they're sitting close enough to their monitor that their eyes are going across the midline. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right. not so important with tapping or sound, but it certainly is with the eye movements. Oh, I want to jump back to the legal stuff. I, some couple of things we forgot, Kurt. Um, if you're doing a telehealth, make sure your client signed a telehealth consent form. That's important. Um, and yeah, and if- you may if, see if their insurance pays for telehealth. Most of them still do, but that's something you might want to consider if you're doing insurance work. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so the other... Mm-hmm. Talk about... I didn't mean to cut you off, but can we talk about the importance of what we need to do, since it's telehealth, about dealing with uh, strong emotions and closures and, and shutting down a session? Absolutely. Because I was going to go into complex PTSD dissociation, so it's kind of all of a piece. So, yeah. What were you thinking? Well, you know, one of the things that we need to do, you know, uh, when, when, remember when you and I first started virtual trainings, one of the comments one of the participants made was one of the things they liked about it after the weekend was over, thinking they would not, was that when we did the Calm Safe Place, one of our participants says, you know, what's good about this is that when we're done, I'm already in my safe place. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody's home or office may be safe, but that was something, you know, but it's to create a safe place where they are and be able to shift states. And if that includes things like heavy blankets they put around them or pillows or certain fabrics that have a, a, a soothing feel, um, their, their, their dog, their cat, um, things like that to help ground them and make sure they're grounded at the end of the session and make sure they have available availability of those objects in their home because you're not in there they're not in your office in order for you to do that for them 
So one of the things that I often have with my clients is, you know, before we start doing the work, especially with my more fragile clients, we might spend some time talking about this, is, again, let's set up your space. One, is it safe, like Kurt just said. Um, but what do you need in order to stay present with me during the work? For some people, they like scents. So they may have, you know, whether it's essential oils or vanilla or whatever that that flavor of scent that they like, that it's right there with them, that they have that weighted blanket. Um, I had a client just actually yesterday, it was really funny. Every time she got upset as we were doing the work, her dog would jump on her lap so that he was taking care of her. It was very, very sweet. So the animal, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to be like, again, really thoughtful about that space that in our offices we have it set up. We may not even be thinking about it anymore because we've had it set up for years. But they need to very thoughtfully, mindfully set up, <clears throat> excuse me, where they're going to be doing reprocessing that they can stay grounded. I've had actually in, in our um, practicums in tele, when we're doing virtual trainings, and if I've had a participant who starts to kind of float away a little bit, I have them grab books and put them on their laps, literally to kind of weight them down. They can't go anywhere. You know, the other thing, remember uh, use of those, uh, well, those, those big uh, gym balls, what are they called, BOSU balls or what were you? Mm, or yoga balls or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And have the, have the client sit on there because literally they're having, their brain is having to adjust and balance the whole time. And that keeps a dual attention. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have anything else you want to say about that? Because I want to talk a little bit about kids as well. Uh, no, I think that's covered, and I agree. We need to talk about kids, right? Um, because you know, the thought is, can't you? you well, know, you can't do this with children virtually. Well, yeah, you can. You absolutely can. With all the things that we do with kids normally, you know, it, the younger the kid, the shorter the amount of reprocessing you're going to do. All of that kind of stuff. But again, even more so, you need to have an adult. In the facility, whether it's a room or a, you know, apartment or house or wherever they are, that there's an adult there. It may not be in the space with them, but available just in case. Um, but if it's a safe adult, that can be really cool to have the person actually in the room. And that person may actually be the one doing the bilaterals, can actually be tapping on their shoulders or in their knees if they're a safe person. And that can be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so when we think about doing telehealth, um, I know people can be very fearful of it, but the, the biggest thing, when I first started, and I, when I first said, you can't do EMDR versus telehealth, one of the things that I said is, like, Kurt, have you noticed, like, when a client walks in the room, you know, just from attunement, you know immediately how they are. And when I first started doing telehealth, I went, well, how am I going to do that? You know what I found, Kurt, is I actually do. As soon as Zoom comes on, as soon as the picture comes on, I'm like, whoa, you okay? What's going on? Yeah, me too. It's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been an amazing learning curve about all this virtual stuff uh, mm -hmm. and how powerful it can be. You know, the American Psychological Association actually released a report after COVID, and they found that uh, uh, virtual, telephone, and in-person seem to be equally effective during that time of pandemic. Right. And there's been research specifically on EMDR therapy and telehealth and how efficacious it's been. But you just said telephone. Let's talk about telephone for just a minute. You can actually do EMDR therapy 
via te- you don't have a screen at all now, people. Just telephone. And have you done that? I've I've done it once. I prefer not uh-huh. to because I like to right. see them. But in times of uh, let's say high emotional upset, I've been able to work them through it, talk them through it on the phone, kind of like a crisis intervention uh, modality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I've only done it with people that I know really well. I would never do it with a new client or you know someone that that I, that I don't know that I don't I haven't done EMDR therapy with before. Um, but it can be effective, and you can like tap the uh, the speaker of the phone to help them again time the eyes back and forth or they're tapping on themselves. Um, so it it's a little bit more of a challenge, but you can still do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So this is what I want everyone to take away from this. Yes, you can do MDR therapy and telehealth. Anything you want to add, Kurt? Yeah, just one other thing is that, you know, you know, just make sure that if you're one of those Zoomers that wears a nice shirt or top and are in your gym <laughs> shorts and slippers, that when you get up and move around, you either mute your uh, mute your uh, mute your audio and shut off your camera because, you know, in the midst of some of our trainings, we've seen some very interesting things happen because people forget that they're also being seen. And uh, so just that kind of uh, cautious modesty would be helpful. Right. Thoughtfulness on some stuff, right? I know. Um, so thank you all for all the work that you do and, and the, the challenges we've all faced and that we've all stepped up for. So I want to thank all of you for doing that and we will continue to do it and you know whatever that next world crisis that we have to deal with i know we'll deal with that too so thank you all i really appreciate it thank you all for listening till next time